You are listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. That leads me to my last introduction, and I introduce the speaker today, me. Here I am. Yeah. <laughs> That's... That's kind of you, but when we, uh, when we start seeing the 11 o'clock crowd come in this morning, you might not be cheering. Uh, we, have a, we have a lot to get through this morning, church. We are continuing our series in Jesus for Everyone. What a great name for a series, and Jesus for Everyone. What, what Luke is going to do through the Gospel of Luke is Luke is going to, he's going to, compel us. And, he, and he, remember, Luke is writing to Theophilus. He's writing to a man who's in high rank position. He's high power. Uh, most likely, he, uh, Theophilus is over a military unit. He is a, he's, he's a Gentile. Luke is a Gentile outside of the faith writing to somebody. Most people think in the Gospel of Luke, it says uh, in, in the opening that it references his title, Theophilus' title. And in the Gospel of, or in the book of Acts, he doesn't. And, and, and Luke, what that means is that Luke probably is addressing Theophilus in the Gospel of Luke as somebody who doesn't know the Lord. And in volume two, the Acts, Acts of the Apostles, is Theophilus his title's been dropped, and most likely he's now just a brother in Christ. He's been compelled by what Luke says in the gospel. And, and the gospel of Luke is going to say, who is marginalized? Who, who does the, the religious higher-ups say is outside of the gospel? Who isn't in? And Luke is going to give us a perspective on who is in. And uh, today, church, we, uh, I'll just, I'll let you know that today's sermon, so I used to teach, I taught for a number of years, almost 10 years at a Bible school, and it was a great honor. And you know what, one of the funny criticisms that I always got when I was uh, teaching, and I, what I would teach is I would teach inductive method, uh, and that was inductive biblical studies and, and, and broad overviews of the whole arc of, of the Bible, and and I think there, there's, that's, that's good for any of us that we, we understand why are there so many books of the Bible? Why are the, how do these little stories fit into the one big story, the gospel narrative? And that's what I taught. And it was a great blessing. One of the criticisms that I always had as a teacher was that you're a teacher, but you're kind of preachy. You preach too much. You're, you're teaching and you're supposed to be delivering content, but you're, you're a bit preachy. So I'm like, okay. And over the years, the, the Lord had shaped me more towards being a preacher. And then as I got into uh, preaching more, when I was preaching and I would preach at different churches, they would say, you're a good preacher. But another criticism that I received is they're like, you're kind of teachy. Kind of, you kind of teach. And so I'm like, man, you cannot win. And, and there was constructive criticisms that came along the way that's kind of shaped my life. But I like to think of myself as somebody who generally likes good feedback, 
right? Like, I like to know where I'm at in life. I like to know, did I, did I do that well? Like, critique me, give me some positive feedback on what I could do uh, better or, not, or, or worse. You know, what, what did I do? What, sh- what should I change? I like to be somebody that, that's growing, a constant learner. But isn't it funny, uh, when we get critiqued often, or we have criticism, when somebody criticizes us, especially uh, when we get into criticism that we didn't really ask for, isn't that the kind of criticism, it, doesn't it just kind of sting a little bit? Where somebody makes an accusation about you, or somebody, uh, they might not know the backstory of what was happening that week, and they, they, they criticize uh, something that was uh, going on in your week, you know, Mark, Pastor Mark, that wasn't a very good sermon, and they didn't, they didn't see the whole week, you know, and maybe the, the, the whole week was falling apart, and this popped up, and focused on here, and I didn't get my 20 hours of prayer and 20 hours of sermon prepping. You just don't know what's going on behind the curtain, and I think in today's sermon, I've titled it Critics and Coaching. Or from critics to coaches. How many of us know that critics and coaches are quite a bit different? Right? How many of us have been criticized at one point or another? Anybody been criticized? Yeah. I think most of us. How many of us have been coached at one point or another? Had some good, good coaches in our life. I know for, for myself, uh, I grew up as a, I wrestled for a lot of years from, from grade school to college. And uh, the, the, best, the best people in my life were coaches. My uh, Steve Lander, the greatest, the greatest high school coach in history from Dallas and now down in Roseburg, Oregon. He's just, he, Everything that I do to this day is still shaped by that man who invested in my life. And what was interesting about a coach, a coach kind of sees the long term, right? The coach sees behind the curtain. The coach, uh, my senior year, going into my senior year, I broke my leg and I had a severe leg break in the summer uh, in, a, in a bike accident where I was in a cast for, for seven months. <clears throat> and I was in that cast, and I missed my senior year football season, and then I went into my wrestling season, and I missed all of my wrestling season except for the last month, and so I came out of a cast for seven months, and my leg was really skinny, and the doctor didn't recommend that I wrestle, but I went back, and not really walking with the Lord yet, so don't hold this against me, I told my wrestling coach, the doctor cleared me, said I'm good. And uh, so I went and I wrestled and my coach, he worked with me and he worked with me. And I remember my senior year, I was so close to going to state and it was a last match from a guy who just shouldn't have beat me. And he, he got out ahead of me and in my opinion, he was stalling and the, the, the ref should have called a stalling call. But I remember... The, the whistle blowing and losing that match. And I remember seeing my coach's face. And I saw his face, and not, not disappointment, but he knew the behind-the-scenes story. He knew that this was my senior year. He knew that my leg was just healed. He knew all the work that I've put in it. He knew that I lost that match going to state by a point. He knew 
what, what, what had the work that had been put in, and he knew where I was going. And it wasn't a face of disappointment. It was a face of a coach. And critics and coaches are very different. Critics kind of see the right here and now. They kind of disguise, well, I speak truth. I speak it at whatever cost. And, and that's kind of the, the go-to critic. And coaches, they have this way of taking even the worst situations and turning them to good. And what we have here going into Luke chapter 11, verse 29, Jesus is going to address his critics, those who have been criticizing him and his ministry. And he's going to turn to his disciples, and he's going to tell his disciples, this is a coaching opportunity. He's going to take this time to coach his disciples and say, Though they critique me, they will also, they will critique you as well. And he will turn this into a coaching opportunity like only Jesus can. So as we go through the text today, friends, uh, it, it's going to have a little bit of a flavor of, of teaching because we, we got a big group of texts that's been handed out. Uh, you know, Pastor Ron, bless his heart, as he broke up uh, Luke and he was handing out the sections. We had to do big chunks or else we'd be here for 13 years. You know, I'd be preaching to my grandkids. Um, so, so we kind of, kind of get through the book and we also have these big chunks. But we, it's so important that we just don't see it as random stories. Like, why are we starting with the sign of Jonah? Like Jesus going along and healing people, and then all of a sudden there's the sign of Jonah. Why? Is this here? What is happening? And what does this have to do with anything in the story? It's not random. It's for a reason. So dive in with me, church. Understand that where we are in the story, that the gospel of Luke, it's broken up into three major sections. There's three sections of Luke. And in the first part of Luke is chapter 9. And that's where Jesus is primarily, he's in Galilee. And in chapter 9, right between 9 and 10 there, he's going to move towards Judea, Samaria. And that's where we are. And he's ultimately going to his death in Jerusalem. And this is, this is actually interesting because this is the gospel of Luke. And then the, the, the Acts of the Apostles, it goes from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. It completely turns. And this is the structure of both books. And where we are now, Jesus is going. He's in Judea and Samaria. And, and his ministry's moved outside of Galilee. And, and Jesus has just kind of come out of the works of Jesus. Remember last week, Pastor Ron had said, the works of Jesus. And now we've moved into the words of Jesus. If you have a red letter Bible, it's really red at this point. And now we come in to Jonah. This is where we are in our story. If you uh, look in a le- chapter 11, verse 29. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. They seek a sign, but no sign will be given except for the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man become to this generation. Let's pause. What is going on? Why all of a sudden do we jump to a story about a big fish, sea monster that swallows a man way back in the Old Testament and some queen of Sheba? That's weird. Why is it put in here? What Jesus is doing, he's doing two things. He's, he's, he's looking 
right in the previous verses, right above this paragraph, what's happening with uh, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and those who are the high ups in religious culture right now, they're saying to Jesus and they're accusing Jesus that all of his power is coming from the devil. They're saying the only reason why this guy is powerful is it, it must be evil spirits. How is he doing this? This guy is doing God-like things. He's going around talking about the forgiveness of sins. He's touching un, uh, unholy people, uh, women that were, that were bleeding. You shouldn't do that by ceremonial law. He's touching dead bodies and they're being raised from the dead. This, this cannot be from God. It must be evil. And Jesus says, I came here to bring God's kingdom. Why would I divide the kingdom against itself? And then the second part is they're going, show us a sign. Show us a sign that you're really God, right? We just came out of the part of the works, right? And, and Jesus is going around and, and people are, women are coming up and just touching his garment and they're healed. Twelve years of being sick and they're healed in an instant. Jesus is going to kids that are dead, that have been dead, and he he reaches down and he touches them and he raises them from the dead. Jesus is going around and he's saying the deaf can hear, the blind can see. People are repenting. People are turning from, to the Lord. And they're saying, show us a sign. Jesus is like, okay, I'm trying. I'm trying really hard here. And what happens in, in this particular verse is if you go back to the story of Jonah... Jonah is a prophet of God, and not a good one. Not a good one. He is a reluctant prophet. He doesn't want to go to a Gentile nation, the Ninevites. He doesn't want to go and do what God told him to do, to preach to them and tell them to repent. And Jonah tells us why. Because he knows that God will forgive them. He doesn't want to go to his enemies because he knows how good God is. And, and, and Jonah, what happens the, in, in, in a nutshell, the four chapters there, is Jonah gets on a ship and goes the opposite direction. And it's all the people in the story that shouldn't be the good guys. All the people in the story, the, the sailors that know better, they're sitting here going, what is going on? What is happening? Surely God is doing something in you. And they recognize Jonah's down under the ship hiding. And, and so they chuck Jonah out. And then there's the, 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 the beast or the sea monster or whatever that, that swallows Jonah and spits him out. And then Jonah goes as a sign to Nineveh. And Jonah still is reluctant. Jonah goes and he doesn't even mention God. He just goes and he, he, he just tells them to repent. And Jonah, and Jonah is a prophet that's supposed to be speaking for God. But here, in a nutshell, is what we're dealing with. And this is why Luke is using it here. Because, listen, folks, the Lord tells us to love our enemies, right? We have enemies in our life. How many of us would be bold enough to say there are enemies in our life? We have enemies in our life. Uh, there are people that we probably dislike, that we have a bias towards. I always tell people this. If people, oh, I don't have a bias. Okay, fine, fair enough. If you don't have a bias, 
Think about somebody who you wouldn't want your daughter to marry. You have a bias. Uh, I'm trying to get rid of those biases, but they're in there for sure. Um, what my wife and I, we tell our kids this all the time. My wife and I are high school sweethearts. We love each other. We love marriage. We have a great marriage. I love it. And I tell them all the time, you can't marry your high school sweetheart. It's off the table. Mom and dad did it. You can't. Um, that's my bias. Um, but what's happening here is that we all have our enemies. And, and, and same is true in the Bible. But what Jonah didn't like is that's fine on my terms. I will love my enemy. Fair enough, God, but not you. What about when God loves your enemies? What about when God loves the person that you don't like? What about when God loves the people group that you don't like? What about when you know how good God is and he will for sure forgive them? He will for sure bring them into the fold. Doesn't it just feel different? Feels a little different, right? Like, okay, I will love them on my terms, but then when you see God's outpouring and you see that they repent and they turn, this can be those, those early stages where all of us, we see a new believer and, and, and it seems like they're just making stride after stride and they're walking with God and they're on fire and they're growing so fast and you're like, wow. And, and it's convicting to us on, man, maybe my growth has slowed down. The sign of Jonah was that God loves people, he loves his enemies, he loves those who shouldn't be in. And this is what, this is what Luke sets up the rest of the story with. Luke is going to set up this and go, look, the Queen of Sheba, a Gentile woman who came from 1,500 miles to listen to the wisdom of, of Solomon. He listens to the, the, the wisdom of Solomon and goes, man, you're better You're better than I even expected. He's going to use these two Gentiles, a Gentile nation and a Gentile person, that points to how God loves his people. He's going to point us to how God loves those who we or they think are not in. This is the story, and this is why Jonah sets it up, and and we're going to go right into it. And he's going to say in, in verse 33 through 36, he's going to say, look, and you are to be a light. You're meant to, you're meant to be a light. And, and, and he says in 33 through 36 that you are to be this, this light, not just for, for you, but if you're truly a light of God, that you're meant to be a light for those who don't know. You're supposed to shine for those who you don't think are in. You're supposed to shine for those who you don't think are in the fold of God. That's what he's saying in in 33 through 36. And then he's going to go right on in to his critics. Now, this is where it gets really good. And and I got to have you out of here before lunch. Um, So I'll just go. In, in, In 1137, follow with me for a little bit here. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. Okay, we'll stop right here. Dining... So dining was a bit different than it is here. Now, you know, you might, have, you might have a meal with somebody that you don't necessarily care for or you really even know that well. But dining, biblically, it was a time where you would come together with somebody and it, it meant you had agreement. You would dine with those that you agreed with and, and you would dine with those who you were politically on the same page. Or like Pharisees ate with Pharisees, Sadducees ate with Sadducees. 
lawyers, tax collectors, ate with those in their profession because it had this, this aligning of agreement. So look, look how good Jesus, and this is, you know, just so you know, this is why Jesus got the reputation for being friends with sinners because Jesus is in there dining with sinners. He's dining with, dining with the wrong groups of people. He's dining with people that are not Jewish. He's dining with people that are outside of the religious norms. He's dining with all the wrong people. Hence, Jesus for everyone. So, okay, keep going, Mark. Um, So, he went and he reclined at the table with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were astonished that he did not wash his hands before dinner. And the Lord said to them, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of your cup of the dish, but the inside is full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Okay, so this is how somebody shows up to the dinner party. Jesus shows up. I agree with you. We're, we're, we're showing that we're in alignment. I showed up to your dinner party. And we have these Pharisees. And these Pharisees are they're, they're kind of like, you know, the, the, the mom that's like, wash your hands before your meal. And, and they're telling him, you know, why didn't you wash your hands? And this isn't, this isn't a washing like, you know, you wash your hands to make sure it's clean for 20 seconds and it gets it all off there. Um, but this is a ceremonial washing. This would be a, a ceremonial washing that's still practiced within Jewish culture today where you go in before your meal and you start with your hands up and then you turn your hands over. And it had, it had to do with whether or not you would come in contact with evil uh, somewhere along the meal. Really good practicing Jews would do this right before they, they had their meal. This would be after their hand washing to actually get the dirt off. Some very strict Jewish people would do this in between each serving. So, you know, from the falafel or to the bread or whatever, whatever they eat, the olives, they would do that in between each serving. And what Jesus is saying, he's setting up these Pharisees and he's going to say, you clean the outside. Woe to you Pharisees. You make it look good on the outside but you haven't done anything with the inside, with your heart. Further down, Jesus is going to give them three woes, starting in verse 42. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb, and you neglect justice and love. The, The prophetic message of the prophets was that you would come, that you would love the Lord with all your heart. And you would love your neighbor. That was, that was the, the law. 613 laws in, in the book of Leviticus. In the book of Leviticus. 613 laws. Boiled down to love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. This is the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is structured in such a way. The first four, a vertical relationship how to love God. The next six, how to love one another. And, and he boils it down. And he says, you are proud because you tithe. You're proud because you do religious hand washing, ceremonial cleaning, cleansing. But you miss the point to love God and to love justice, to love your neighbor. That is the point. Great at loving God ceremonially, Do you love God relationally? 
There's a big difference, church, between religion and relationship. Religion will compel us to do it because we're supposed to. Relationship compels us because we want to. Relationship is because you desire the other. I don't, I don't have a relationship to Ash, Ashley because she, we have a contract. Well, 16 years ago, last week, we did our contract and we were at the courthouse in the church. And so I love you and ceremonially we were in a church. No. I love her and I desire her because we, we have a relationship. We're committed to one another. And religion, religion is nothing more than a contract. He goes, you tithe, great. And he goes, he goes on to say, Pharisees, you love the best seat in the synagogue. You love your position. You love that people know you. We go even further down to the third woe, verse 44. Woe to you, for you, like unmarked graves, people walk all over them. We'll get into this in just a second here. We got, we got unmarked graves here. He's saying, Pharisees, you love that you do all the right religious practices. You ceremonially wash your hands, you tithe, you take communion, you, uh, you have position, people know you. Hey, hey, Pastor Mark, going through Fred Meyer. Hey, Pastor Mark, hey, hey, how's it going? Yeah, I like that, feels good. I've had people walk up to me not too long ago and they're introducing me and they're, to somebody that they're with. They're like, hey, come here, come here, come here. I'm like, hi. And they're like, this is, this, this is my pastor. This is Pastor Mark. And I'm sitting there like, I am. I don't know you. I don't know who this person is that's introducing me, but we have masks on and they're telling their friend that I'm their pastor. And I'm like, I am. Just smile and nod. Uh, but, but it can feel good, right? It can feel good to have position and notoriety. And he says, you guys are, are like unmarked graves. He's telling the Pharisees. And, and the Pharisees, they get this bad rap, right? Like the Pharisees, the Pharisees are kind of Jesus' verbal sparring partners here but the pharisees they came they were a people group who were who came out of exile when when the when in the in the between the testaments of the new and the old are these people groups that were formed different different groups of christianity of sadducees of of um of Pharisees, of zealots. And what happened, the Pharisees wanted to preserve the law so bad, they never wanted to go into exile again. So on top of the 613 rules that already exist, they made more rules. They made more traditions. They, put, they piled it on. They made, they made a relationship turned into a ceremony. And they get this bad rap because they're in the story, but they were this people that had well-intended hearts, that they wanted to preserve the, the covenant between them and God. And in the midst of preserving it, they miss the God that they were trying to be in relationship with. They, it goes on, and, and, and I... And I I love this. He goes on in verse 45. One of the lawyers answered, Teacher, saying these things, you insult us too. Now, now the lawyers here, the lawyers are going to get theirs as well. The lawyers are also known as the scribes. And the lawyers stand up and they say, Hey, 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 Jesus, you're talking bad about those guys. This is insulting to us. 
And so what does Jesus do? He loves them like Jesus. Okay, you'll get yours too. And Jesus goes right into it. He goes, he goes, woe to you. You build tombs to the prophets whom your fathers killed. So what this is, and, and this is the connection to the unmarked graves. What they would do is they would build these big tombs. And even, you know, if you go uh, with Ron and Ed on their next trip, uh, you go to Israel, you can still see... Uh, uh, graves that are painted and whitewashed and beautiful. And it was this, this idea that you would honor the prophet. Look how much honor they have. Look at how amazing they were. And Jesus goes, your fathers are the ones that killed them. Your fathers are the ones that murdered them because they came to speak truth and they didn't like the word. It was the kings of the day that refused to listen. You are whitewashed graves, and you would, you would never want to have a grave. You would never want to walk over an unmarked grave, because what would that do? That would make you unclean, right? You weren't supposed to contact the dead or be in contact with uh, graves. You'd be unclean. And Jesus is saying, your, your religion has, 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 has become this wall, and it's not only that you're you're just a religious person without relationship, but you're leading others away. Whew. Church, this is spicy. This is spicy. This, this should get something going in us where we, we all begin to think, Lord, Lord, protect our hearts. goes on, verse 52, Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You yourselves are a hindrance to those who are entering. This is where Jesus, the buck stops with Jesus. Jesus goes, people, not only do we, do we make it difficult, not only do we live this hypocrisy in our own life, but we're making it difficult for others. Jesus goes on and he in the rest of 12, in, in the rest of chapter 12, what Jesus is going to say is he's going to turn to his, he's going to turn to his disciples. And this is where he goes from, here's his critics, and he goes to a coach. One of the, some of the best advice I ever received early on in pastoral ministry was turning your critics into coaches. Taking that little nugget of truth and going, okay, God, is there something in here that you're convicting me on? I'm, I'm, looking, I'm looking through the list of the Pharisees because I, I myself kind of tend towards pharisaical living. I myself tend towards that urge to, uh, to re- religious righteousness on my own accord. I, I, I know where, where I, I lean towards. And so for me, this comes as very convicting. And what Jesus does is he takes his critics and he turns now in chapter 12, and it says, In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together, trampling on one another, he began to say to his disciples first. He goes, now it's your turn, disciples. And he's going to go and he's going to give them this big picture perspective. And there's these really great verses that... Um, it, it, it's, it's a shame that we're, we're passing over, but please go and read. And he goes, he goes do not fear those who kill the body after, they, after that, that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. 
Fear whom, whom after has killed the authority can cast you into hell. He turns to his disciples and he says, see these guys? You're always going to have critics. You're always going to have critics. And these particular critics, in a couple weeks, are going to hang Jesus on a cross. And Jesus, I showed you the picture, Jesus is going there. Jesus isn't being drugged to Jerusalem. Jesus isn't being drugged to his cross. Jesus is going to it. Jesus knows exactly what's going to happen when he gets there. He knows what kind of critics these are. And he turns to his disciples and he says, don't fear them. Don't fear them. Fear the one on the other side. Fear the one that has the, holds the keys to death in Hades. Fear the one that holds your soul. You can either have eternity with him or without him. Big picture. Coaches have a different perspective. He sees it different. He sees the whole story. He goes on and he says, don't fear men. Verses, uh, chapter 12, verse 8 through 12, he goes, don't fear man. I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge them in the next life before God. Big picture. Coaches see it differently. Don't be worried about notoriety here. Don't be worried about who knows you here. Be worried about the one who knows you in heaven. And he wraps it up with this great parable that seems a bit out of place. A rich young fool. This guy stands up and he says, Hey, Jesus, uh, my brother and I, we should be splitting our inheritance. Tell him to split his inheritance with me. Jesus is like, what? What? This is like right before this, some, some woman just stands up from the crowd and is like, Blessed is the womb that bore you. Jesus, thank you. Thank you. You too. Jesus always kind of has these characters that stand up out of the crowd. And, and this guy says, you know, tell my brother how to split my inheritance. And Jesus says, I'm not going to mess with that, but I'll tell you what you really need. And he tells them the story of this guy that had much and was rich and continued to build more and more and built his barns. And he says, fool, don't you know that tonight your soul will be demanded of you? Jesus gives them this big picture. It's not an inheritance that you need. It's God that you need. It's not an inheritance that you need. It's, it's an, inher- an eternal inheritance. There's a treasure that's bigger. And, and I love that coaches can do this. Coaches can come alongside and say, look, this isn't the end. That there's something bigger. That there's something else at the other end. And today, church, would this, would this serve us, church, as a challenge, a, a, a practice of mine when I preach when I, when, I, when, I, when I come to deliver a word, or like, when we get to the end of something, it's, now what? What is this for? What do you do with it? How does this pertain to your life by Wednesday, by Monday? And, and one of the practices, I always look and go, Lord, where am I in this story? I know I ain't Jesus. That one's easy to mark off. I'm one of the Pharisees. Is my faith... Have I, have I traded it in for a Sunday morning ritual, a Wednesday night ritual? Have I traded that for a relationship to you? 
Have I become a lawyer and a scribe and I'm just a, a Bible nerd that's just like, well, technically in the Bible here, it doesn't say, you know, and I, and I love this, but I don't love the God behind it. My coach, my critic, where am I at, Lord? Church, this serves us this, this morning. Our doctrine is solid. We, we are solid in who Christ is and the work of Christ. But our faith, it's fluid. And our, our faith, it's moving and it's active. And God is always going to be there to confront us. He's always going to be con- there to confront us on where our faith is, where it's getting, it, it's getting a bit stiff. Remember the Good Samaritan just a couple weeks ago? The, the Good Samaritan is a, is, is a great story because it points us to God says, love your neighbor. And then he challenges us, who's your neighbor? How far are you willing to go? Is your neighbor in suburbia Canby? Or is your neighbor in downtown Portland? Is your neighbor across national lines? How far is your love for your neighbor? In a couple weeks, I'll preach... Uh, on the, the prodigal son. How far do you think God's love extends? See, today, church, would this serve us in such a way where we would go, Lord, where, where are we at? Who are we in this story? Where is our love towards you? Where is our affection towards you? Where has it become religion and, and not relationship? Would this... Would this go into our hearts and and begin to shape us and mold this church differently? It is a blessing to be here with you, and I just want to pray that over you. Church, thank you for being here this morning. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for the gospel of Luke. I thank you that this is a rich, meaningful passage. This is a rich, meaningful book that it's going to challenge us if we let it. It's going to challenge us to say, who do we see as in? Who do we see as out? Has our faith become stagnant? Is it a stagnant pool of water? Is it flowing? And and there's activity there, Lord, and we, we we want to be like that. Lord, we want to be your disciples. We want to trust you that, that this world isn't just the, the world that's here and now, but there's something more to come. The world that we see now isn't the only world that we pull back the curtain on eternity and we get a glimpse at it. Lord, would you challenge us this morning? Would you challenge our hearts to love you more, to be in right step with you, that our faith would be alive and active? God, we love you as can be foursquare, as the saints here before you. Would you shape us to be more like you, Jesus? In your good name, amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbefoursquare.com.